Audio conversation with Trish and Rob McGregor recorded Tuesday, May 13th, 2014. This is my third interview with Trish and Rob. I think the first one was back in 2010. Uh, They have had three books. I think they've had more than three books with Synchronicity in the cover, but this is my third interview with them, and each book that I'm covering, or that we're covering together, has the word Synchronicity right in the title. They are particularly well-suited for covering this subject. They have been working together, geez, I don't know how many decades now, doing book projects as authors, sometimes individually, sometimes as a team. They both started out as newspaper journalists working for Florida newspapers. They then went on to work for Omni Magazine doing journalism. And this kind of work-a-day writing, I think, sets them up really well for this kind of storytelling and this kind of investigation into something as elusive as synchronicity. They're capable of writing very clear prose, which I appreciate, and they are also capable of not in any way being locked into any one theory or in any one avenue of thought. Uh, it makes For me, it makes the reading very enjoyable. Uh, the book here, the focus of this interview, is a book they just just recently published titled The Synchronicity Highway, and the subtitle is Exploring Coincidence, the Paranormal, and Alien Contact. Now, I made a mistake during the interview. I said that this was only available as an ebook. I was wrong, and I caught her saying it, and I, and I, I didn't realize it until I checked at the end of the interview, and yes, it is available as a paperback book. Uh, so yes, the book, The Synchronicity Highway, is available in uh, paperback, as an ebook, and also as an audiobook through Audible. And I have the links for all three of those uh, posted in the show notes. Now, this, this book has uh, alien contact not as the main theme, like Aliens in the Backyard, their previous book, but as a, you know, as a sub-chapter within the overall context of the book. And, uh, but the, what we stick with mostly on this talk is, uh, is the alien theme, as well as we talk a lot about owls, and it's very interesting. They have their own owl experiences, which I thought were fine. Just, they just fit right into the overall owl theme that I have been digging into in my own research. This talk lasts just a little bit more than an hour, and as always, I had a delightful time talking with them. Please enjoy. Hey, um, Rob and Trish, I just want to thank you so much for saying yes to this interview. It means a lot to me. Well, thank you for having us. Thank you for asking. Yeah, I know this is your third time that I've interviewed you for this podcast series. And each time, each book had the word synchronicity in the cover. The book that I want to talk about now is one that I, I uh, read. I read it um, as an ebook. I, uh, I put it on my um, iPad. And the title of the book is The Synchronicity Highway. And the subtitle is Exploring Coincidence, the Paranormal, and Alien Contact. And I just, I just want to ask about the genesis of how this book came about. You might say it's the everything book on synchronicity. <laughs> That's what it felt like while we were writing it. Um, it came about just because we had a lot of stories, you know, that all fit into this under the umbrella of synchronicity. We had actually started uh, probably two, three years ago on a book just about travel synchronicities, and we had sent it out to a mainstream publisher but they, uh, who had published our first two synchronicity books, The uh, Seven Secrets of Synchronicity and Synchronicity on the Other Side. And this was at, you know, kind of at the height of, I guess it was a little longer, 
a couple of years ago. It was at the height of the uh, economic downturn. And they said, nope, people aren't traveling now. They're not buying travel books. So, uh, and we, we hadn't really thought about it so much as a travel book as a synchronicity book. But anyhow, we put it aside. And then uh, a couple of years ago, we picked it up again and started looking at those stories and other stories we had and worked, worked it into a synchronicity highway. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful book. Now, my sense was this came right on the heels of Aliens in the Backyard, that book. Yeah, well, it's it's the follow-up. Right, that's when we started uh, writing it after that one. Yeah, my sense was, and this was just, is that, you know, probably had some leftover stories or some things that didn't quite fit into that book. And then and then you were on Coast to Coast, weren't you? Uh, right. For, and I'm just assuming that, that uh, everyone I've ever talked to who has been on Coast to Coast basically says there's like a there's like an echo effect. What would you call it? Like, like a rebound or something like that where you get a, uh, a flood of uh, emails and calls after... after that's uh, true. Right. That was that, you know, that was true uh, after Aliens in the Backyard, but not so much after we, we just were on Coast to Coast again for uh, Synchronicity Highway, but there hasn't been much response because they've done something a little different. Uh, you know, the, the show appears live, at least on the East Coast, between like three, uh, th- two, two and five, two and, five and we're on the air. I was on the air uh, actually with my co-author of another book called The Fog. It was more or less about the Bermuda Triangle and about the Flight 370. Uh, but we also talked about Synchronicity Highway. And uh, we're on three to five, so there's not that many people really uh, listening at uh, on the East Coast, at least. So people, you know, go in the archives and pick it up. But now it costs $7 to listen to an a archive, single a single show, you know, and I'd rather have them buy the book. <laughs> and so uh, we asked, well, could we get uh, a copy to put on our blog? And they said, no. <laughs> you know, what happens is people sort of just cheat. I don't know. There's a lot. You can, it doesn't take much searching online to, to get some of the audio interviews uh, from, yeah. from uh, people who post them on YouTube and stuff. Well, just so you know, this will be free. I don't quite have, I'm uh, not quite George Norrie as far as my reach, but uh, <laughs> yeah. um but we got a great response after being on Whitley's uh, Dreamland. Dream that was uh, that was good. That's a that's a powerful uh, show. Oh, good! I just listened to that. Uh, I had listened to that was only a couple weeks ago now, and I just listened to it again this morning, uh, prepping for this. And I want to go over one thing in that, but um, but we'll get, we'll get to that. Hey, you started off uh, that uh, Dreamland thing, and I think this is important. Talking, you, uh, Trish, you quoted Stanislav Grof, right? Um. I quoted him because, well, I'm, I'm a real fan, first of all, <laughs> of him. But one of the things he said was that, uh, I'll give you that exact quote. Um, if the world of matter interacts with the human psyche, it pretty much turns the current worldview on its head that consciousness and matter are separate. Now, if you really think about that, that that's a powerful statement. That's very interesting. I had never really even heard of Stanislav Grof, and I'm working on a book project myself right now. And for some reason, I, I stumbled on on him. You know, he studied consciousness as well as uh, non-ordinary states of consciousness and created something called heli- heliotrophic breathwork, right. which, which I think is a, like a combination of hyperventilating and meditating. In com- <laughs> yeah. um, and then he, what it sounds like he's getting some very interesting... Uh, uh, you know, results or has been. I think this this emerged in the late '60s. Um, He's but, got a new book out. That that's where I got that quote, and I'm, I'm looking for it on my iPad. I can't remember the title. Oh, but it's oh, a terrific book. 
Okay. Well, anyway, so it's interesting because he has an owl story, and it basically was, uh, and I can't remember it was out of some book, I just found it online, um, uh, where he was talking about um, uh, a woman who came to a meditation retreat that he was putting on, and I think she was a psychiatrist or a psychologist, and um, she had been having owl synchronicities during the meditation retreat uh she left and on the drive home she found a wounded owl like a live owl on the road wounded and took it into her car with her mm. um so That's interesting yeah so, so here we have like a you know consciousness and and owls so this is i'm you know you you obviously realize that i've been doing this owl research and it has kind of like it seems like the synchronicities the owl synchronicities well let's 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 not say synchronicities like i'm i'm searching these out and i'm finding them and then at the same time i'm uh i'm just sitting here and they're arriving in my lap too so i'm I'm doing very little work i just basically check my email and like oh here's a great owl story and i check in with the person and and then you know document it i I sent you kitty walker your way she's another owl person Yes, in fact, I just uh, did it. I did a talk uh, recently where I talked about my owl research, and I used her story. Well, here, let me let me just and let we can tell this one together a little bit because you you use this in the um, uh, in your book, right? You know, and and she had been in uh, working Eastern on a, oh, oh well, that story too. Oh gosh, yeah. Well, yeah, so, that, so, that is really weird one. Yeah, here, go ahead and retell that one if you can. Okay. Um, First of all, Katie contacted us in May of 2013, uh, and she introduced herself as a documentary film producer, and she'd heard us uh, on a radio show podcast called Mysterious Universe, uh, talking about UFO encounters and synchronicity, and she was, coincidentally, her company was uh, making a documentary on synchronicity, uh, So, and she wanted to talk to us. And so we made uh, tentative arrangements to have a an interview in Miami later in the year. Uh, But anyhow, she told us that her life is filled with meaningful coincidences, and she'd also mentioned that she'd had an alien encounter herself years ago in a forested area of eastern Germany. Uh, So we kind of turned the tables and we interviewed her and uh, for uh, for the book, uh, Synchronicity Highway. And the incident occurred in 1998, and uh, began with uh, when her and her friend Oliver arrived at a, a tiny remote village where her parents owned a uh, cottage. And they went to a restaurant not far from the cottage, and while sitting there, they kept hearing this strange sound. It was like the bleeding of a calf. And they thought it was a, an animal at first, that, uh, but then it just continued making this sound, and it was really disturbing for them. So after the eating, they went back to the cottage, and Katie, just off handedly said, wouldn't it be cool to talk to an alien? (laughs) Now, that was a real peculiar thing to say at the time for Katie because uh, she was 19 years old, had never really thought about aliens, wasn't interested in the subject at all. And uh, so, you know, if she wasn't really, uh, you know, concerned about the matter at all, and Oliver looked... uh, kind of oddly at her and went outside to see if he could find what was making that noise since they could still hear it. Uh, and that was the last thing time she saw him for three hours. He just vanished. And as she puzzled over why she'd made that odd comment, there was suddenly a, this blinding beam of light uh, in the front window. And after a few moments, she moved closer and saw that 
extremely long fingers touching the glass and the, the silhouette of a skinny being looking in at her. Uh, skinny beings, actually. There was more than one. She, she knew inst- instinctively that they were implanting thoughts in her mind. and uh, To get her to cooperate. Yeah, to get her to cooperate. And she wanted, but she wanted nothing to do it. So she scrambled and raced up in the attic and hid in the corner. And she s- uh, spent three hours up there fighting them off mentally. Uh, and so uh, finally, she, uh, she was able to overcome them or, or they just gave up on her and uh, left her alone. And, but she was convinced that Oliver was taken. And, uh, and that they, may, maybe they really weren't interested in her, that their interest was in him. Yeah. So that was a- uh, but then that, that Al thing you're talking about, we heard from her a couple of months after she had told us the story. And her, the filming of her Synchro project was underway in San Francisco. And she, the reason she wrote, she says the entire crew was encountering synchronicities primarily about owls. So that was interesting. Yes. Uh, but also I mean, about butterflies. <laughs> yes. So she, so she uh, and I have been corresponding. Um, she was uh, shooting the documentary project. And I think that the project is, the, the working title is Time Is Now. So it's a, uh, a documentary film about <laughs> synchronicities. And they were shooting the murals in in and around right. um, the Mission yeah. District of San Francisco. Yeah, and there's a lot of. And she sent me some images, and there's you know images of of uh, owls, and there's also images of of UFOs together. So that's what they were shooting. You know that, that and there was like a lot of uh, Native American imagery and kind of mystical imagery, and. Um, and I think that it was in your book, you even sort of say while she was shooting this stuff, they all recognized it was kind of a heightened energy and kind of a weird right. energy among them. And and um, they set their camera down, still running, and they didn't realize it, but there's a, there's, they caught maybe four seconds or so of this UFO, this right. odd, shiny craft descending, and it moves downward and descends behind some trees. And it was daylight. Full right. daylight. That's really interesting. Really, have you you've seen the footage? Yes. Oh yeah. 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 And and I um grabbed that footage off of YouTube and then I I, I enhanced it a little bit and I I uh, slowed it down and stuff like that. Just did some very simple things with the uh, the iMovie program that I have here on my computer. But um, I mean it's a really interesting little clip. Yeah, it is. And yeah. and I kind of quizzed her on it. I'm like, okay, now was this? Is there any way this could have been hoaxed? And she's like, no way. Nope. We didn't even know it was there. We found it afterwards. And and I, so here's this. This has kind of been my working uh, model or whatever you want to call a hypothesis. Is that somehow the UFOs, synchronicity, and owls are somehow intertwined? And that example is a perfect example. Yeah, it all seems. Uh, intertwined, but uh, one comment about that that video, you know, you can see it pretty clearly, and it's a and a, it's an odd shape for a UFO. It's almost rectangular, it appears, and so there is a possibility that this could be a drone that was passing by, but uh, who knows why? But uh, still, you know, it's still it appeared. It's a, wh- whether it is or not, it's a UFO. It's, it was an identified right. object that was uh, moving by and filmed uh, filmed accidentally. But it uh, it just kind of shows that there's this connection with uh, the entities, the uh, aliens, whatever you want to call them, interdimensional beings, that they seem to be 
connected to our brains in some way, our minds. Consciousness. Uh, consciousness in general. I mean, it's uh, uh, just as, as we were talking about her experience in the forest in East Germany, uh, they were inside her head. That was, uh, uh, and that's, and all, there's synchronicities that occur repeatedly to people who are abducted uh, before the experience, during it, and afterwards. And you have to wonder what the association is with the beings, the entities, and the synchronicity. Are, are they creating it? I mean, are they so far beyond us in their uh, mental, uh, their intelligence and their uh, intuitive abilities that they can actually create these uh, uh, meaningful coincidence for uh, for people who are having these experiences. You know, it's it's a fascinating question. We've been meditating with a woman who's a contactee, and we we set up meditation times just to see if we can tune in on whatever she's experiencing. We've had some interesting Yeah, she's the images. one that, she was the one that uh, we're on Dreamland right. with. Uh, oh, she's uh, the one that works with, um, oh. Sandy is the name that she Yeah, uses. and she's she's a, a no. neurobiologist, a veterinarian neurobiologist. Right, right. retired. Yeah. yeah. And so what's been happening with these, with these shared meditations? Stuff. I mean. You know, we, we haven't had the experiences that she's had, but there seems to be some kind of connection. Uh, For us, it's mostly images. And I have this little app called Ghost Radar. Have you seen it? No, I don't know what it is. Well, it's, it's a very cool app. And one of the things it does is it picks up anomalies in, in your environment. Okay. And it shows them on like a little radar screen. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you mean anomalies? This is, I mean, like... Well, it can be any... I, I don't know. They, that, this is just how they describe it. So during this medit- this last meditation with Sandy, I, I suddenly felt that I should get up and go get my iPhone so I could turn on ghost radar. And so I did and came back with it. And in a, in a space of about 10 minutes, 16 blips appeared on this radar screen. And now... The program, the app also has vocabulary with words that appear random. It was strange. It was like, it, it was like a story, okay, that were six, six or eight words. Right, that came through. Yeah, that came through in that period of about 10 minutes when these 16 blips were on. And, and there seemed to be some sort of telepathic component to this app. Yeah. And remember, also, you started with a question that time. Right. I said, uh, if you're here... Communicate, yeah, and, and use the app. Right. Oh know? my word! Okay. And and what I got in my meditation was right at the beginning, is the words over and over again in my head: "We are here. We are here. We are here. We are here." And it was like answering Trisha's right. question that she had posed, and I was I was hearing it in my head. And did you know that that was the question that Trish had posed before? No, you? no, I didn't know. Okay, all. and then and at the same time, this woman Sandy is somewhere else entirely, and you've right. just you've just said like, okay, like at the specific time, we're yeah. all going to sit and meditate for a half hour. Right, and there's actually a couple other people who have joined us too. Yeah, if you want to join us at any time. Okay, this is I don't really meditate. There's going to be I, there's one of the questions I, either, I have. But for you. <laughs> if you can sit still for thirty minutes, I, oh, I can. You know, I definitely can sit still for for that time. Um, very interesting. Hey, so we started talking initially just in this little segment here about the fact that you feel, which I also feel, that uh, UFO abductees or contactees are having more synchronicities than what would be Joe Normal. 
probably. Yeah, and well, and it I can also be though, Mike, that that people who experience a lot of synchronicities are aware of what synchronicity is because without awareness, you know, then you're just having a random coincidence. You know what I mean? Yes. So this goes back over the last year sometime, I think, and I and I have a friend of mine, her name is Erica, and I was kind of, you know, she's heard all my stories and she's been the good listening ear to all my stuff. And I said, um, you know, somewhat pompously, maybe, I said, you know, UFO abductees are having more synchronicities than the average person. And she kind of rolled her eyes and looked at me and she said, anyone on a spiritual path will have more synchronicities than the average person. That's probably right. true. Yeah, because, yeah. Of, because of that awareness. Right. Yes. So now, I mean, what it did to me is it forced me to contemplate, you know, does that mean that UFO abduction is a spiritual path? That's a really good question. That's a good question. And I mean, I, mean, I don't have an answer, but it would be fun to, you know, speculate. Yeah. Well, I think for Sandy, who, I mean, she actually spends three hours a day that she sets aside to communicate and just be with these energies. So for her, it's definitely a spiritual path. And I think that there's a heightened, I mean, awareness or or sense of... I almost want to say, like, you know, I feel almost as if, now this is, I'm, this is just a, this is like almost a comic book reference. I'm, <laughs> I don't think it's real, but I almost feel like you could, you know, like the Carillion photography that you can, you know, photograph right. live plants with, and they have like this little Carillion aura mm-hmm. about them. I sense that you could go into a, you know, a crowded movie theater and, and take some Carillion photographs, and I suspect that you would be able to pick out who or who isn't a UFO abductee by some little Carillion signature. Now, I'm just making that up, but that's my sense. You see what I'm saying? There's probably yeah, some heightened aura or some heightened vibration. Oh, I hate using those kind of words. They sound so new agey, but you get what I'm saying. Uh, yeah. And so my sense is anyone with that heightened self-awareness. It's heightened is what it is. It's all energy. Exactly. With that heightened energy or that slightly different energy or an energy on a slightly different frequency here. I'm doing all the things that drive me crazy about the new age community. <laughs> uh, but I think that that, you know, anyone, I think anyone who meditates a lot could have synchronicities. I think people who have near-death experiences, and right. I, this, is, this is something that's been pretty much confirmed to me through talking to near-death uh, researchers, is that they have more synchronicities. Uh, people who've, who've, um, uh, I think that even people on mushrooms, I've heard weird stories about people taking hallucinogenics and having weird synchronicities. Right, yeah. Did you read um, The Spirit Mo- Molecule? Oh, yes. Well, yeah. Yeah. All those people had a lots of synchronicities. Right. Yeah. And, uh, one of the things that uh, Carl Jung mentioned in this regard, he said, synchronicity is an ever-present reality for those who have eyes to see. I think that kind of puts it... Uh, Right, very concisely. Sure, and then, I mean, I think that the taking mushrooms, I mean, I think there's a lot of college people out there like, party, you know, just going to think it <laughs> yeah. that way. But I also think that, you know, there's a tradition, uh, there's a tradition of the, uh, the the spirit quest, you know, along with psychedelic mushrooms. And that's certainly, you know, that's right, that's something mm-hmm. on the spiritual path. I mean, is the UFO abduction thing part of a spiritual path? I, I, I like the way that comes out and the way I, in a way it sounds, but I, I've, you know, I yeah. would like to think that's what it is. But uh, well, there's there's a lot of con- connections too between UFOs and the dead, which people don't really mm-hmm. think about uh, in terms of uh, UFOs. They think of you know flying saucers, vehicles from other planets, extraterrestrial 
uh, entities and that, and they don't think of it as any kind of relationship with the dead. But we gathered uh, stories in one chapter near the end of the book about all these UFO sightings that were taking place near near uh, over uh, grave sites and wondering why that was uh, 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 what the attraction was to gra- graveyards for, for UFOs. In fact, uh, in the earlier book, uh, uh, Aliens in the Backyard, the uh, the story that took place in Quebec with uh, Charles Fontaine, uh, he his experience started in a graveyard actually uh, about a week or so before he had the actual encounter in his backyard is where something very strange happened while he was uh, docu- uh, doing a family tree in this uh, graveyard with his father where suddenly is this very small cemetery near a church and he couldn't find his father anymore and the wind was howling and he uh, he then he heard his father yelling and he couldn't uh, really see where he was and his father couldn't find him and uh, then he heard the, the voice in his head was get away from that gravestone and, and that was a gravestone a family member who had died recently who had been uh, not uh, the, the the it was his uncle and so his father and uncle had been at odds for years and they had never settled this uh, this situation between them and it had even gone to court apparently well that doesn't seem to have anything with UFOs but he links it to it because a week later is when he had this experience in the backyard and he uh, and the the graveyard was just right across the uh, field from uh, uh, where he lives. So his backyard is adjacent to a farmer's field and the, the graveyard is on the other side. And afterwards, after this experience he had in the uh, backyard where it was an, an apparent abduction, but he can't remember it. The last thing he remembers is this light beam coming down after he's seeing the uh, craft coming right into his backyard. Uh, and then he finds himself in a shower. But after that, it was like the house was haunted. There was, uh, he, he would sleep at night with a baseball bat uh, uh, next to him as if that was <laughs> going to do any, do any good. It just made him feel secure. And so, you know, it, it just seems that there's some strange connection between uh, the dead and the aliens. And possibly it is that where the, the realm where these beings exist the dead are there and they don't seem to be dead. Yes, this is so interesting. Now, coming from my end of the research, you know, the owls also represent death. There's a lot of mythology around owls. So here's this other thing. I mean, and there's just like simple little analogies you can make between the owls and the UFO, including the fact that both of them fly silently. You know, that's reported consistently about both owls and UFOs. Uh, I had been collecting all these stories. I've got so many stories of, of uh, people seeing owls in, in connection to UFOs. You know, they'll be they'll, they'll look at a tree, and there'll be an owl on a tree, and then they'll look up, and there'll be a UFO hovering, you know, floating above them. Um, I've got that story in one form or another over and over and over again. Now, what I didn't have was any stories relating owls to death. Um, and then, you know, and I kind of realized, like, oh, I've got a, this is an empty spot. You know, this is something that has to be explored because that is the mythology, uh, especially among Native Americans. Um, 
so there came a day thing arrives in my email inbox and it was from a man who told a story and his story was that his wife's father his wife is named Renee his wife's father was went to the hospital in, in uh, suddenly and then uh, actually was in a retirement home and then he went to the hospital and then he died and and so they went to visit him while he was in the hospital and that was when he died so they they had to make plans for the funeral and stuff like that so they were in uh, in Minneapolis area and they had to drive back to their home which is in northern Minnesota so the husband drove back and in order to do so he had to drive right past the way the roads were that went to his home he had to drive right past his father's excuse me his father-in-law's so Renee's father uh, right <clears throat> past his farm and in doing so when he passed it there was a great big owl sitting on a telephone post right in front of the house and he very clearly felt that that was his father-in-law giving one last look at the farm that he lived on. He was very, very sad when he went to the retirement community because he couldn't work on his farm anymore. So he very much felt that he saw that owl, and that owl was a representation of his uh, father-in-law saying goodbye to the farm. So I was, like, so happy. I was like, great, here's a story. It doesn't have anything to do with UFOs. So I get back to the guy, and I say, wow, this is really a nice story. Thanks for sharing that. You know, and, I, and, uh, and then he gets back to me and says, hey, I just looked on your site. He found me. I don't know how exactly he found me. He got on my site, and he says, oh, I just saw your site. It's like you do UFO research. And I'm like, yeah, I do. So this is all going back and forth through emails. It's like, yeah, I do UFO research. Now his wife, Renee, has since died. Um, so he was sharing that story. Uh, and he, then he says, you know, that's funny, because my wife, Renee, used to channel the Ashtar Command. Oh, my God. <laughs> and so he put me in touch with a friend of hers. And I said, listen, I'm doing this owl research. I want to ask about this woman, Renee. And so she told me all about how she channeled the Ashtar Command. Now, so for people who don't know, Ashtar Command is a little bit on the, you know, uh, on the sort of new agey side of the spectrum of the continuum. The Pardon? <laughs> It's, it's considered pretty woo-woo, but it sounds like she was a wonderful person, this, yeah. this woman, Renee. And and uh, and so there's, uh, you know, people will claim to channel, and people all over the world claim to channel from the same source. Uh, they'll say, like, oh, now, you know, communication from the Ashtar Command coming through. Now, her friend, she said, oh, that's interesting, owls and UFOs. Now, you that's so interesting because... And then she told a story about having this profound dream this would have been this would have been in the late 1940s before any of the ufo craze hit as a little girl she had a uh, profound dream of a ufo parked in the street right in front of her house wow but she she always equated that spot in the street always even to her adult life as the spot where the ufo had landed now right near there was a tree that her father chopped down this tree when they were all kids, when her and her brother and sisters were all kids. And that would have been right around the same time of the dream. And the reason he chopped down the tree was because there was an owl in the tree and he didn't like it. Wow. <laughs> so here, so I guess that was a long story. And what, what it was saying is that this, you know, the first story I get with owls and death, I'm like, oh yes, there's no connection to UFOs. And then it's just like, I can't untangle it from the UFO thing. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Oh, and yeah. so I interrupted. I'm sorry, you were going to say something, uh, Rob. Yeah, well, uh, where we used to live before we moved into this house is about 15 miles from here in a small town. And uh, we live in South Florida, and this is the uh, bastion of the remaining 
burrowing owls. It's a type of small owl, only about six inches or so tall, and they live in the ground, and they're an endangered species. And uh, we had them right in our backyard. So we got to watch uh, these owls, uh, especially early in the morning and around dusk, you'd, you'd see them out. And uh, they have a pretty terrible time uh, living in the uh, suburbia because there's cats and snakes that dogs go after and dogs and uh, you know and they're they're trying to have a nest uh, in people's backyards under uh, in these holes. Um, anyhow, we had this experience where uh, we would see them around, uh, but uh, we 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 never had a really close look at it until one day there was a burrowing owl right above our front door. And he was just sitting on the door frame, and he was there for hours. And uh, oh, so wait, so you to get in and out of your house, you had to walk under the owl. Yeah, he just uh, stayed right there. Uh, we might have gone uh, through the garage, possibly, yeah, not, maybe. To, not to frighten him. I can't, it's a long time now, but he stayed there for a long time, and uh, it was shortly after that that we heard. A good friend of ours uh, in New York, in Brooklyn, had died. And this this man was... Really talented psychic. Yeah, uh, a good friend of ours. And uh, we we always connected the tool together, uh, the that all above our door and uh, Richard's passing. It, it, it seemed linked. And I had an experience, Mike, that was extremely literal. When my mother was in an Alzheimer's unit. One afternoon, our daughter was really young. She had a friend over. And right at, my dad was living right outside his room in an atrium. Megan says to me, she goes, Mom, Mom, there's a burrowing owl out on the fence. So we all go running out to the, out to the backyard. And this owl, at first I thought he was just perched on one leg, but he actually was missing part of his leg. I think it was the left leg. And I thought, uh, okay, this can't be good. Does this mean my father's going to pass away? I mean, we knew about the mythology since he was on the fence next to my dad's room. And I thought, I, I hope that's not what it means. So anyway, we studied it for a little while and it finally flew off. The next morning at nine o'clock in the morning, I get a call from the Alzheimer's unit. My mother is on her way to ER. She, they think she's broken her hip, her left hip. But what it is, is her hip is dissolved. And because of the Alzheimer's, she spent the last three weeks of her life basically on morphine. But I, I feel that that owl was literally the warning about what, what was going on with her. This is Even the, so, same, the same leg, you know, the same side of the body. Oh, this is so interesting. So, okay, I'm going to tell a story that I don't think I've shared. Uh, on I've writ, wrote about it on the blog, but... Um, I, I was, this goes back last summer, this would have been July 25th, the night of July 25th. I was here in my house, sitting right where I'm sitting now at my computer. It was about 9.30 at night. And where I live here, I live in a, in a mountainous area and it's, in the summertime it gets hot in the afternoon. So it's dry and high elevation. So when it gets hot in the, no one has air conditioner here. So um, mm. at the end of the day, when the sun goes down, it gets very cold right away. And then you just open up all the doors. So I had the kitchen door open, totally propped open. The screen was propped open. I'm sitting here at my desk. There's no bugs, um, so that was easy. And then um, I hear this noise on the kitchen floor. And, and it didn't sound like my cat, so I turned my head and look. And there was a ferret on the floor of my kitchen. Oh, wow. 
<laughs> a live ferret. And my first thought was like, okay, I don't want this thing to get further into the house. <clears throat> so I get out of my chair and I walk very calmly over to it. This kitchen light is on, it's fully lit, bright, sitting there right in the middle of the formica on the floor. So I like walk right over it, look right down at it. You know what I mean? And, and it looks up at me and I say, you can't be here. You need to leave. <laughs> and it turns around and hops onto the porch and then it sits on the porch and looks back at me. And this is, and then we had a few, we had our you know little moment there on the porch. It was so cute. Oh my God, this thing is, and it is, they're, uh, uh, ferrets are, are member of the mink family. So they're totally, their fur is like silky yeah, and reflecting in the, in the light of the kitchen. So it sits on the porch for a second, you know, outside my kitchen door. And then it eventually just slinks off into the bushes. And I walked onto the porch and I could hear it moving through the bushes and it was gone. So I came back to my desk and I wrote a little Facebook page thing on it a little posting on it which was good because i have a time and everything like that on exactly when it happened and i looked up and i realized it was a the only thing that matches is a black-footed ferret now black-footed ferrets are not native or they're not here in this area they might have been here at one point in history but they were considered completely extinct until the late 1980s and they found some black-footed ferrets i think in northern colorado in the plains of northern colorado so there's very few uh so it didn't make any sense. It's like an endangered species that basically can't be here. Um, this thing was almost two feet long, about 18 inches to two Jeez. feet long. Oh. Now, my mother had been in a uh, Alzheimer's oh, I unit. I remember this story. Yeah, so my mother was in an Alzheimer's unit. Right. I go to bed that night. I get up early. My brother, which is unusual for me, I get up surprisingly early and check my email. And my brother says, Mike, we call. Something's wrong with mom. So I call him and mom... Uh, had been, uh, I guess she got up and then collapsed due to a brain aneurysm. And she uh, collapsed in the morning, uh, getting out of bed, and she never regained consciousness. So I flew to where she was in North Carolina, and my brother, sister, and I were all there by her side. My brother was outside. He wasn't right in the room at the moment, but, but we were all there taking turns. So I was, we were all there. And so it was actually a my mom was in very poor health near the end, so it wasn't a sad event. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, you know, I was literally holding her hand when she passed. Now, at 9.30 at night in Idaho, where I am, would be 11.30 at night in uh, North Carolina. Mom was obviously in bed asleep. I, the, what I said to that ferret was... In, in as polite and cheery way as I could, I said, you can't be here. You need to leave. Mm. And oh. I can't separate. And I don't know why I said that. It seemed like a normal thing to say to an animal if I didn't want it in my kitchen. <laughs> but um, And then also I talked to a shaman, and she interrupted me. I just told her the same story. Uh, her name is uh, 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 Shauna Holm. And uh, she interrupted me. I told the same story. Just when I when I first mentioned ferret, she said, oh, ferret is the traditional totem for the vitality of life. <coughs> oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so anyway, so there's a story with a, a similar story with, that's so weird. We both have stories of, yeah. of mothers <coughs> in mothers Alzheimer's units. Alzheimer's. So we've had a little synchronicity here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, that's exactly why I brought it up. I didn't, I wasn't going to bring that up, but the, yeah, this is so interesting. Yeah, that is. Well, I think I think it can be any animal, but it's it's interesting that yours happened to be about the vitality of life, and you mine know, was literally showing me what my mother was going to experience. The, where we're living now, we don't have any owls around here. There's no burrowing owls or any other type of owls. But what we do have 
in our yard at night are opossums, and they have this weird alien look to oh, their sure do. white yeah. faces, and they sit uh, on the fence, and sometimes I walk by, and they are like frozen, and I'm, I'm my head is about two feet from their head, and it's shocking, you know, they're right at my level on top of the fence, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, we talked about that with, uh, with Whitley in one of our interviews, and uh, he saw that as a, a symbol, uh, if, if not an actual reflection of, uh, of an alien encounter, but uh, I've never really thought of it that way, but uh, they are definitely here. <laughs> Well, and also that the the, the uh, uh, possums are often reported not 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 often reported. They have been reported as screen memories. So people will say, you know, it's very normal for people to say, like, oh, I was driving down the road and I saw this four foot tall owl. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there are there are reports of you know one fellow who's uh, his name is Stan Romanak and he's kind of controversial in this field, but he actually has a story of people that he calls the possum people basically knocking on his door. And he opened up the oh door, and there's God. these people with like basically weird alien faces that he called possum faces. Wow! So. <laughs> now that would freak me out. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's the, the everything all the all about this is 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 a uh, you know freak you out. Hey, um, what's going on with Charles Fontaine today? The fellow, have you heard from him recently? Yeah, not too long ago, he's still very much hung up on the connection between aliens and the spirit world and uh he's somewhat religious although he 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 prefaces his comments by saying i don't go to church (laughs) (laughs) but he he has this background that's uh ingrained in him and he he thinks that the aliens uh and are demons basically and that uh you know he's uh, that is his uh, his conviction, and I don't believe he has any had any further experiences of anything since we wrote the book. You know, he did have a very strange experience after his uh, <clears throat> encounter. Um, I think it was a month or six weeks afterwards, where this uh, he was in the uh, he is parked in the back of a supermarket, mm. uh, which was about 10, 15 miles from his home. And he was the only car back there. And it was uh, like nine o'clock at night. And he was sitting there with the uh, dashboard light on and looking at his looking at his uh, receipt uh, uh, going through it. When he raised his gaze and looked in the rearview mirror and saw this strange person walking towards his car and walking in a very strange insect-like movement and dressed very strangely with very tight pants that were real short and uh, odd uh, clothing. And he was carrying up like a dozen or 15 uh, grocery bags, uh, uh, you know, bags that you can take in and put your groceries in. There's no way that he could ever you know, fill the, uh, he could fill those bags, but no way he could ever walk home carrying all those bags full of groceries. And uh, the person came up to the window and peered in at him, and he, he thought, well, this person might be, uh, you know, psycho <laughs> or, or mentally retarded. Yeah. Uh, and he uh, 
he started feeling uncomfortable. And then the person started talking in a very strange voice, uh, a high-pitched voice, and it wasn't English, and he couldn't tell what language it was. And he started driving away, and then the person comes lunging at him. And uh, it was just a very strange experience. It, it, It just seemed like this being or whatever this was it could have been like a, a hybrid uh uh didn't it look like a big insect kind well, of moved in an insect yeah he moved like an insect and uh uh you know at, at first he thought it was somebody who might be somewhat retarded but at the end he wasn't sure what it was that he was he was seeing it was just a very strange experience and then coming that coming in the aftermath of his uh encounter in his backyard Yes. Now, this is something this I've had uh, just a, I, if Charles Fontaine has actually contacted me through email. Oh, and yes. uh, the, the reason he contacted me was because on the sidebar of my site, on the left-hand sidebar, there's an image of a, of a researcher, author researcher named Mac Tonys. Oh, right. Yeah, I've seen that. And, you know. and so Mac Tonys died in 2009 at a very young age. Uh, he was, I was quite close to him. I was really broken up when he died he was you know so but um and then i think that that if you go to that link it's just a it's just a link to um a bunch of audio interviews that are still posted online with mac tonys so uh but there's an image it's just a picture i grabbed off of his blog of his self-portrait and and um you know he was he's a tall fellow he had shaved he had started losing his hair so he shaved his head so he's completely bald and he's so it's a little bit um, of a dramatic photo in the sense that you know he's got glasses on and it's just he's against a white wall and he's kind of just a little bit overexposed. So it's kind of a chalky white you know image. But that's what Charles Fontaine said. That is the person he saw. Yeah, Mac Tony's. Now it's interesting. Mac Tony's was about as sweet and well mannered and and polite as any person on earth. So that you know the walking like an insect and being intimidating does not describe right. him at all. But yeah. I just thought that was so strange that he's in. Then you're also saying he's he's been obsessed by the connection between the UFO and the spirit world, and right. and, uh, and seeing it in a demonic way. Because uh, at, for the first for the year after this experience, he, his wife, and his daughter all carried vials of holy water with them constantly. Um, and he has a whole story of how he got the holy water, and that that uh, he the first uh, church he went to the. The priest was uh, uh, very intimidating and wanted uh, nothing to do with it. And then he went to another church, and they were very helpful with him. And uh, they could, said he could have all the holy water he wanted. <laughs> and the first uh, first priest said, "Well, just come to church, come to mass." You know? <laughs> uh, he didn't want to give him any holy water, but so that was uh, and 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 an interesting uh, uh, side story with this is. Uh, we asked him to send us uh, the vial of holy water that he had been carrying around because we wanted to take it to a, a psychic who is very uh, she's a psychometrist psychometrist she's who, incredible who works with objects and uh, she's in a little uh, community of psychics uh, of spiritualists actually called Casadega, Florida. <clears throat> it's um, about 150 people live there, and they. Well, wait a minute. It's a, it's a community of spiritualists. Like yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's a little like so. Everyone's of, got like a little shingle out front saying you know palm yeah, reader yeah. and and uh, min- doctor so and so or you know minister. astrologer reverend right Far yeah out. okay this is like it sounds like that's a, like sounds like the opening of an X Files episode or something but keep going <laughs> yeah. 
and and this town was built like in the 1920s, so it's all these. No, old, it goes old, back to the 1800s. Yeah, well, when it was first established. When it was first established, yeah. but a lot of the houses were built in yeah. the 20s, so it's all these wood frame two-story mm -hmm. houses, and it and it's very hilly there, and so it looks. You, it's like you're moving into another dimension there. It does not look like Florida at mm -hmm. all. It's in the middle of a pine forest. It's all these hills, and you come upon this little town with this... It's uh, like a little New England town. <laughs> with, with this Mediterranean hotel built in the 1930s. Uh, and That's haunted. Yeah, that's haunted. We've had some experiences yeah. there. We've been there a num uh, many times. Uh, so anyway, we took the vial of holy water to this yeah. Kathy, this psychometrist, <laughs> And Rob says, you, you go in with the holy water and have the readings. So I said, okay. So I, I went in, I handed her, I said, could you give me your impressions of this? And she looked kind of startled. And, and after she had read the vial, she, it turns out that she was a nurse in ER, and she thought it was a vial of urine. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, so like okay, you can read this. Yeah, so you didn't you didn't have it in like a, obviously you took it out of like a you know it didn't have a you know picture of the Pope or anything on it on like a little no, ornamental no, no, glass little glass vial. Little vial. Okay. Yeah, and so her uh, her uh, logical brain was uh, telling her, well, this is must be urine, uh, must be urine, <laughs> but uh, but that but what she picked up intuitively it was very accurate. Yeah, you know, she said one of the things she said about Charles. Fontaine's experience. I said, she said, it's only going to happen to him once. And that was the one time. And I said, well, what was the purpose? And she's touching the vial. She's thinking, and she says, usually her, aisle, her eyes are shut for this. And she said, entertainment. <laughs> which, which is a startling thing yeah. to think about it. Are they some? Are they doing this sometimes for entertainment? Oh, what do we do on a Saturday night? Go wreck this guy's life, you know? <laughs> oh, that's so strange because I've actually there's another UFO researcher that I know who who will occasionally uh, actually he's sort of more of a journalist, but he 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 uh, will say um, you know that he puts peanut butter on his the roof of his uh, dog's mouth and just to sit there and laugh with the dogs on the floor going. And trying to get the peanut butter off his mouth, you know, the dog okay. kind of rolls around, and so he he equates the that you know that some of the UFO abduction phenomena may be nothing more than an analogy of, you know, how we sit around and think it's so funny when we put peanut butter on the roof of the dog's mouth. Right. Um, well, that was Kathy's impression. She just said it's entertainment. You know? Oh, that's interesting. Now I'm tempted to like pick something out and send it to her. You know, so she's really. We're going to see her this weekend. <laughs> yeah, she's she's good. She's uh, we're, and she's very reasonably priced as well. She's not you know somebody who charges in the hundreds of dollars or anything. It's very reasonable. It's forty bucks in cash. And she and she's very concise. I mean, you you go in for like twenty minutes or a half half an hour, is it? Mm. And and she just. She, he gets right on a roll and spills it out. It's uh, she, uh, there's there's no uh, you know uh, what would you say? There's no BS. Yeah, <laughs> so, so, some psychics can have a lot of right. a lot of filler there, and it's none of that. She just uh, she tells you what she's getting, and uh, we've we've been very impressed with her. I mean, uh, she's she's been so uh, accurate for. Trish and I and our daughter, our daughter especially, yeah, astonishingly uh, accurate. She uh, reads Megan's cell phone. <laughs> yeah. Wow, so, so uh, yeah, this, I mean, this, I'm glad, so this is like some UFO researchers, some nuts and bolts, pragmatic, very conservative researchers who are out there, you know, measuring the burn marks in the backyards would, would cringe at the thought of bringing in a psychic. And right. uh, in my sense is like where you're studying a mystery and just any 
input from any direction exactly. wherever you can get it yeah so that's right. exactly. especially it. if the psychic's it. good you know and the more and more you get into the whole phenomena you realize that you know it's it's a it's part uh physical and it's part uh psychological and it's a, it's a combination of things that uh that are happening to people and you you think about it when uh people are nobody ever reports oh i saw somebody being abducted uh it's always i was abducted you know that those are the reports their first person report reports uh you you don't hear uh uh you know people report reporting other people being abducted so it's a very personal thing and um it's this happened this is what happened to me this is uh what i saw it's not what i saw happening to a stranger so i'm not saying that you know that it didn't happen is uh but it's it's like what uh uh, Jung talked about UFOs as myth. He wasn't saying that they weren't real, but that they existed outside of conventional reality. You know, it, it's it's like they blur the boundaries of uh, conventional boundaries between the objective and the subjective realities, making it all the more messy to try to right, research. Right, yeah. exactly, and and making it very easy for the mainstream science and media to just uh, write off as being craziness. Exactly, exactly. You know, because yeah. like, if they are metal spaceships coming from another planet, they should have all the properties of a metal spaceship coming from another planet. You know? so, <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. Hey, Trish, um, this is going back, I think this was shortly after the publication of the book, you saw a UFO. Yeah, Rob and I both did. Oh, you were uh, together? Yeah, we were together in, in the town of, get this, Jupiter. <laughs> okay, I've been to Jupiter, Florida, so yes. That's a, that's a synchronicity right there. Right, it yeah. was. Um, we were coming off back from Rob was driving. I was in the passenger seat, coming back from dinner with a friend. Daylight. I'm sorry. Was it daylight or evening? No, it was evening. Okay, yeah. it was about eight thirty at it night. Was, it was dark. Yeah, it was dark, and I saw this light. And I, at first, I thought it was like a lights on a you know a building that's under construction. Yeah, I saw it too, and I, I thought it might be like the red lights on top of a radio tower or something. <clears throat> but then we continued driving, and then I said, Rob. You got to turn off at the next turn off. We got to see this thing. It's, it's changing shape. <laughs> really, really bright. And so I, I found a, a, a place to turn and pulled into this empty lot. And we looked up, and I don't know, there are eight or ten of them, bright red lights. Uh, but meanwhile, there was there was another witness, this guy on his Harley, who was on the phone with his wife, going, "Honey, honey, the world is changing. I'm telling you, they're up here. You." Hey, you guys, you guys, he says, waving us over. Can you see these? What, what do you think this is? And then the wife pulls up. So there were four of us who saw the same thing. Yeah. And and then one by one, they just blinked out. Uh, it was it was really strange. I mean, they they were probably, I would say, mm, 1,000, 1,200 feet in the air, whatever they were. You know, they weren't balloons. They are too, no. too high up there mm -hmm. for, you know, being uh, any kind of balloon or uh, Chinese lantern, uh, and they were they were too bright too, and uh, but they were moving in in different formations, uh, and it was it was very very odd. Uh, and it lasted a while. Yeah, and the the uh, the biker actually got a fairly good video that we put on our blog of uh, of uh, the uh, phenomena. Although when you see what you see in 
first person and what comes on a video are, are two different things. You know, I mean, it's so startlingly clear to us where the video of everything is kind of shrunk. <laughs> exactly. Now that's, that's something I often say to people when, you know, like just take a, take a photograph with a camera, you know, of the, of the full moon and just watch what you get, you know, right, right. it's a, you get a little teeny speck, you know, that yeah, shows it's like a, a bright button. <laughs> yeah. This is fascinating. So here, so, so this was after the completion of the aliens in the backyard book. Yeah, it was. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. what were you? Here's a. This is the question I ask as a, as you know, everyone. So, what were you doing? What were you thinking about or talking about just leading up to that event? We were just coming home from dinner, you yeah. know, and that was about it. Yeah, I don't think uh, there was anything in particular that uh, we were uh, uh, thinking or talking about that I I can recall. I can't okay, because yeah. I'm just going to trace this back to one of the first questions and the first things we talked about, which was Katie Walker. And she said, wouldn't it be cool to talk to an alien? And, and what I found in the research and talking to folks, what is actually surprisingly quite common is preceding a UFO sighting, someone will turn to the person next to him and say, wouldn't it be interesting if we saw a UFO? And it'll right. come out yeah. of nowhere. Yeah. And well, then, we've done that before, Rob and I saying that to each other and nothing happens. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, that night we weren't talking about even about UFOs. Yeah, we no, we, we weren't, yeah. So interesting. Hey, it's been a full hour. How are you holding up? Should we? Should I let you go? Yeah, I think that should uh, do it. Uh, I have a bunch of errands. I have to run. Oh, understandably. Yeah, well, thanks uh, so much, Mike. Yeah, yeah but this is great talking to you. Yeah, Good. So before you take off, give a plug for um, your site and how to get a hold of the, this book. Okay. Um, it, the book is The Synchronicity Highway. It's available through Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Uh, it's an ebook, trade, and audio. Oh, there's an audio of it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. And now this is actually something I'm just going to interject. This is something that I, I will, I think I said this in the previous interview we did, which was for the book Aliens in the Backyard. I didn't read that book in paper. I listened to it on audio and I thought it was great. I, whoever read it, I thought did a wonderful job. And, and uh, so yeah. that's good to know. I may actually, uh, I enjoy listening to audio books, so I may get this on audio. Yeah, sounds good. And our, uh, the website is uh, synchrosecrets.com, and to get to the blog, you can either click in from the website or it's synchrosecrets.com forward slash synchrosecrets. That's the blog. Okay, I can put links to all that right here on the, when, when, okay. I, when I post it. So, Well, great. thank you. It's great. Once again, this is wonderful. I always enjoy talking to you. And, um, if, and uh, I can't wait to hear what happens to you in England. Oh, I'm excited about that. It's almost like I can't fit that into my brain that, that it actually happened. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I don't know. For listeners out there, um, it's today is... Uh, May 13th, and in a little over a month, I will be getting on a plane and going to England that uh, someone uh, got a hold of me and wanted me to come and give my uh, uh, talk that I gave at the uh, UFO conference in February uh, about owls. With this, The title of the talk is Owls, Synchronicity, and the UFO Abductee. All right. So, sounds fascinating. Yeah. Are you going to go to see crop circles? Uh, that's part of the plan is when I'm over oh, there, I'm really? going to make sure to get down to Wiltshire and the, the, the Wilts, as uh, someone called it, down in a crop circle country. Yeah, so. Yeah. That'll be great. You'd be there in the right time of year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it'll well, be the summer solstice. Yeah. That, that's oh, that'll be fantastic. Far north. The days are long. Yeah. So. Okay. Good talking to you, Mike. Wonderful to hear your voice. Send us the link when it's up. I sure will. Okay. Thanks so much. Bye now. Take care. Hi, this is Mike. I'm chiming in at the end after the editing process. A few things I want to just touch on here. One, which must have been pretty obvious in the audio, in the talk between Trish and Rob and I, is that I thought it was really touching that both Trish and I had a very similar experience with uh, 
our mothers. Both of our mothers were quite ill and suffering terribly from, from Alzheimer's. And uh, both of us, Trish and myself, each had a paranormal, oh, let's maybe paranormal is too strong a word, a, um, an animal visitation that, that came across as quite meaningful to both of us. And, um, and I, I certainly recognized the similarities between these two stories, as well as the power of both of those two stories. So for me, that was very touching. And I'll be adding an audio clip from their book, The Synchronicity Highway, uh, in the show notes. So uh, a segment of the book will be posted there for your listening pleasure. If you've made it this far, thank you so much. Bye now. <laughs> 